I'm Joe Kane. I'm Dan Kane. I'm Sal Kanka. And this is the Imperfect Podcast. Don't forget to go to hecklacane.com and sign up to be an Imperfect Podcast insider. To the bumper. This week's guest is your humble host, Alex Ferrari, known for his filmmaking blog and podcast, Indie Film Hustle. With his 20 years of experience in the industry, Alex dishes the straight line on making it in the film business. He shared his experiences with us as a filmmaker, making the rounds at every film festival imaginable and why film festivals may or may not be a good idea for filmmakers. This year he puts his money where his mouth is and shot the feature film This Is Meg, starring Jill Michelle Malian, who has also co-wrote the film with Alex. You won't want to miss this exclusive interview. Let's say hello to Alex. Alex Ferrari, welcome to the Imperfect Podcast. How are we doing today? Great, man. Thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks for dialing in all the ways from the uh, the West Coast. I know you're originally an East Coast guy, though, right? Where were your uh, your original roots? I was born in Miami, raised in New York, Queens, um, Jamaica, Queens. Then went back down to Miami when I was ten, and was trapped there until uh, 10 years ago where I escaped and came to LA. <laughs> I, I like how you say trapped. I mean, <laughs> well, if you look, I love all my Florida friends. I have a lot of Florida friends down there, but you know, the film industry is very tough down there. Mm-hmm. And I made a living as an editor yeah. in South Florida, which uh, you can't even comprehend now. Cause I, and I, and at the time I didn't, at the time, I was like, oh, this is great. But when I get to L.A., you're going, oh, so this is what it's like. <laughs> okay, this is a whole other level. So when I got here, it was just like, oh, I escaped. I escaped. Thank God. <laughs> cool. Well, I have some roots in Miami. I actually went to UM. I was a hurricane. Oh, were you? Very cool. Yeah. Very yeah. cool. My first job was uh, right down the street from UM. Oh, really? As a, I was as a, t- a tape dubber, and I edited on um, a Sony two three-quarter inch decks. Getting oh, together cool. demo reels for uh, yeah I know I said three quarter inch and you guys like <laughs> yeah oh, yeah uh, <laughs> well we're all uh, musicians and we 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 deal with those we used to deal with those old uh, the reel to reels and one inch ones oh, yeah. and the three quarter inch oh, yeah. ones I, and oh I it's beautiful full, I went the full set so okay. I I actually went through the audio program unfortunately because I can't stand audio because um, <laughs> I just I need visuals so I hated the classes but I cut tape I signal flow fucking signal flow uh, can I curse I'm yeah, sorry. yes yes, yes 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 uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, having to patch everything into the board and stuff that was before, you know, digital. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was all still hardcore. So, yeah, I, I I feel you. Very cool. Very cool. Well, I mean, for our audience, I'm sure a lot of them listening already know who you are, so we don't have to give too much background on you. But I do want to talk about Indie Film Hustle and just the um, phenomenon I'm going to use the word God. phenomenon that it has become. I mean, the hashtag, the tribe, you know, all these people that have reached out to you, the filmmakers that you've been inspiring um, for, um, you know, for many years now, you know, how do you make that leap to really being an entrepreneur and mm-hmm. starting in the film hustle? Because it's a very uh, entrepreneurial type thing to do, which mm-hmm. a lot of filmmakers don't get the business side of things. So I'm curious how you really came to that and started in the film hustle and, and where it came from? Well, I um, I've always been an entrepreneur. I mean, I was I was hustling, uh, you know, doing flea markets, not flea markets, um, garage sales when I was ten. I was the only ten year old walking around with a wad of cash because <laughs> I was, you know, I, you know, when I say wad of cash, meaning like a hundred bucks, but a hundred bucks for a 10, 12, 13 year old is a lot. I still don't so, carry a hundred bucks in my wallet, so. <laughs> exactly. So I, um, I was always, I've always hustled ever since I was a kid. I was just born with that inside of me. So I've always figured out the film business, the film business side of the film industry, mm-hmm. uh, with my first film broken, uh, and, and, and being able to sell that and make money with that. So I've always been able to figure that out. Um, my wife, my my wife's uh, mom, my mother-in-law says, "I know you'll never starve, because Alex could sell anything to anybody," uh, and I and I just hustle all the time. Uh, and with indie film hustle, I I was looking to start an online business, mm-hmm. and uh, it took me a year of watching every video I can get my hand on, listening to every podcast, reading every book, and I really studied the business of an online business, creating content, the whole SEO, the whole ball of wax. Mm -hmm. So I studied that for a year before I ever launched anything. That's generally the way I work. I work on, uh, I I, kind of like hunker down. I'm like, I'm like Rocky. I I mean, (laughs) I'm I'm in Rocky three. 
I'm in the, I'm inside the, the basement with Apollo. That's where I'm at. <laughs> nice. And I stay there for a long time. But when I come out, I come out swinging and really hard. So that's what I did with Indie Film Hustle. Like I showed up with Indie Film Hustle and bursted out very quickly. Within a month, I was getting a lot of traffic uh, mm -hmm. to my site, which is unheard of for a blog. And by the way, I had been out of the film industry really for almost three years selling my olive oil, which yes. I don't want to get into. We won't talk uh, about that. We'll leave that for the interview <laughs> with Rob. <laughs> exactly. But um, so I really had no leverage. I had people like, you know, people who were either fans of mine from Broken's Day. It was just really disconnected. So I literally came out from scratch. Um, so coming out of the gate like that was um, was eye opening to me. I was like, wow, this actually is resonating. Then I started the podcast and then within two months, the podcast was the number one filmmaking podcast on iTunes. Mm -hmm. And I was like, wow, what the hell is happening here? So I guess m what I was doing with, with Indie Film Hustle at the time was resonating with filmmakers out there because I was telling people the truth. And that's what I wanted to do, kind of like when I started you know, surveying the field of podcasts and websites and stuff. I really, there was a lot, there's nice good content out there and there's a lot of good people out there, but I didn't see anybody with my flavor. Mm -hmm. I didn't see anybody with my my street cred, you know, a guy who's been in the business for 20 odd years, has gone through a lot of shit, has seen a lot of stuff. Um, and and I didn't hear anybody really telling the truth, mm -hmm. meaning like, I'm going to tell you how it really is, you know, and, and I'll tell you how it really is. And I'll show you the dream and I'll show you how to get to that dream. But don't be stupid about it. You know, oh. don't don't finance your house. Don't refinance your house <laughs> to go make your first independent film and you've never directed it before. Don't yeah, be an Joe. idiot. My wife is still mad at me. If, if anybody in the room has done that, I apologize. No, 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 no. no. It's a joke. It's a joke. Okay, but um, but that happens, you know. And and I just I couldn't stand seeing filmmakers who are my people constantly get beat up by the business and being in in post production for so long and and you know delivering over fifty feature films over the course of my career, I was front row to see what happened to all these filmmakers. So I would see Sundance winners and South by Southwest winners and and Oscar winners even um, what happened to their careers and, and what happened to their films and what they do. So I, I really got a chance to see all that over the course of my career so far. So I was like, I've got a really unique perspective. So mm -hmm. I'm like, let me put that perspective out there. And um, it just it just kind of took off after that. And it's been growing and growing ever since. The business side of it was simple. Once I understood the um, the business side of of the the website and the podcast, um, that's the easy part. The hard part is creating good content and yeah. being of value to your audience. So you know, one of the reasons you guys reached out to me to be on this show is because you found some value in what I do over the course of the, of the time you've listened to me or, or read stuff that I've done or anything. So providing that value is my number one priority in whatever whatever arena that is, whether it be YouTube, whether it be the podcast, or whether it be articles or blogs, um, any place I put my name or my effort, I have to provide some value. And that's another thing I saw a lot of these sites doing. They were just trying to rip off filmmakers again. And mm -hmm. I'm like, dude, I've been, I've been ripped off. You've been ripped off. You mm -hmm. know, we went, if you went to film school, you were ripped off. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know Filmmakers are the most cynical, most abused artist, I think, in the in, in the genre of art. Mm -hmm. You know, even more so than musicians or and again, I'm I'm being very you know, you guys are musicians as I see a bunch of guitars hanging in the background. Yeah, Filmmakers, you know, with, with musicians, you know, the cost of a guitar does not outweigh the cost of making a film. You know, you're talking to tens yeah. of thousands of dollars sometimes. So I think filmmakers just get beat up so much that I got tired of seeing them all get ripped off and get beat up all the time. So I was like, you know what, let me let me provide some value. Let me, you know, maybe create some courses to show them the right way of doing things, at least from my perspective, and promote courses that I feel that do good for you and, and show you things. Like we were talking about before the show, the editing. You yep. know, you're a trailer editing guy, Chris. Great, amazing course. Um, but it provides amazing value to whoever wants to, to, to look into it. So that's what I try to do with Indie Film Hustle. And I give away probably, as you guys know, 95% mm -hmm. of my content mm -hmm. is, is, is free. You know, I don't charge for a podcast. I don't charge for all the articles. And, and, other, I, and I give away a lot of stuff on YouTube. And I charge for a little bit of it um, so I can survive and I can grow as, a, as, a, as an entity. But 
that's what I try to do where a lot of other sites might uh, focus more on making a lot of money and screwing the, the filmmaker. I try to help the filmmaker and make some money along the way. Sure. And we know how grueling your schedule is. I mean, when you say indie film hustle, we know what the hustle is like for you, right? I mean, it's five podcasts, you know, a podcast a day, right? Plus the blog. I do, I do two podcasts. I do two podcasts a week. Okay. Sometimes three. And then I do at least a content, a piece of content, original content a day, yep. if not more. And sometimes I'm now stopping myself from creating content uh, because <laughs> I, 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 I just don't have it. I, 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 I promise you right now, if you look on the back end of any film hustle, I literally have 150 articles waiting. Wow. Just sitting, just sitting there, just waiting for me to publish them. Wow. And I've got probably 50 or 100 videos uh, mm -hmm. easily waiting. I just can't process it all so much. And so, the, um, and the question it's pretty, is, it is, where do you find the time? Uh, there's a lot of time in the day. A lot of people ask me that question. There's a lot of time in the day, and if you're if you're good at what you do, at least like, you know, putting this stuff out. I've been doing Indie Film Hustle has only been around for two years. Mm -hmm. um, that's it. So during those two years, I've learned a lot about how to process. So I I can knock out a podcast in an hour to record it, an hour to maybe uh, do editing and intro outro, and I could basically put a podcast together in two two and a half hours, mm -hmm. total. Including yeah. everything, and that's generally the way I do it. Um, so it's not a lot of time. It is, but it's not. Uh, but it took me a while to get there. I mean, I wake up sometimes at three o'clock in the morning, and I'll uh, and I'll go to bed at. I, I always stop around six thirty. If I didn't have my family, the site would probably be bigger. <laughs> but my Damn. family. But you know what? Know. In this community, if you don't have your family, you don't have your people around you. You lose your sanity. Yeah, absolutely. In the business in general. I remember what it was like when I was doing Broken in 2005. I literally sat on the computer for 10 to 12 hours a day just promoting things mm -hmm. all for, for six, seven months straight, you know, and I didn't have a girlfriend at the time. So, <laughs> you know, I just sat there and I just that's all I did. I mean, that's why back then you could not go anywhere online, mm -hmm. any message board without seeing a trailer for that, that film. And um, and it still resonates today. I'm still selling DVDs and and broken stuff back that's 12 years ago now yeah so uh but yeah without the family man like you know we're all the same vintage so uh you know as you get older certain priorities change um but even then I still put in about 10 to 12 hours a day weekdays weekends I generally don't work occasionally I'll do something uh but that's family time so I believe it or not a lot of people think I'm just a workaholic I'm not I just work a lot and I, I'm a very efficient when I work Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like I'm a slacker and I, I feel like I'm not doing enough. I feel like, uh, I could do better. I could do more, but that's any artist. Most <laughs> entrepreneurs, know? most artists yeah. all feel like we're slackers and we haven't done enough for the day. And you know, but, you, yeah. you know what, when I, when I call it quits after editing for, you know, eight hours and I'm sitting there with my eyes glued to the, the computer monitor <laughs> and then all of a sudden I go, oh, I just can't get that last thing done. And what a waste of a day. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that all the time. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I, I only got three blogs done today, a yeah. post today, and a podcast. God damn it. You know, it's like, it's just not enough. It's just not enough. Exactly. Um, well, you know, you, you had your uh, success with Broken um, very early on in terms of you um, went to many film festivals with it, and then it parlayed into selling 5,000 DVDs about the making of Broken and all that stuff. Um you know, what was the film festival experience like for you? And how do you feel about film festivals today for filmmakers? Um, it's a kind of a, it's kind of a double-edged sword. I think film festival, like I've been, all of our projects that I've done uh, has been, I've been probably five, 600 film festivals. So I've done the gambit. I mean, I've been to every festival you can imagine. Um, I've been to Sundance, not as a member or, or, or a filmmaker, but been to Sundance probably six, seven times. Um, I get, the whole experience if you've never gone through the experience it's man it's magical mm -hmm. like the you i don't know if you guys have i'm sure you guys have done some festivals in your day we've done festivals the, not sundance yeah but. <laughs> yeah but the first time you go to a festival and you project your movie it mm. is like it's magic it's like the most amazing thing ever and but when you do that 500 times and you spend a lot of money going through that process um it, it you kind of realize what it's worth 
you know? Mm -hmm. And so to answer your first question, Broken, uh, I went to a lot of festivals with Broken, made a lot of great friends, made a lot of good connections. Um, it parlayed me into going up to Toronto, like producers flying me up to Toronto. And I met Roger Ebert there. And there was a lot of wonderful experiences with the, with the festival circuit. Um, and then I produced some movies, got other movies in, and just kept going to festivals and stuff. Festivals are wonderful. Um, they're really nice. But I do have a problem with the cost. Mm -hmm. uh, I think I, I think a lot of times festivals abuse filmmakers. Um, they take their money for a submission and they don't call them back. They don't email them. They don't even let them know if they're in or not. Nothing like that. And I've been on both sides of that fest. You know, I, I did all I did. And I don't want to keep saying course, but I did another course with um, Chris uh, from film film festival secrets, all about film festivals mm -hmm. from both sides, like from the festival's point of view and the filmmaker's point of view to get the most out of that experience. And the um, it's there is a positivity to it. And if you've never done it, you should definitely do it. But you got to be careful because, you know, when I did Broken, I spent a thousand dollars in submission fees. It's a lot of submission fees for a short film. For sure. yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. And then after thirty five, after I had been in thirty five festivals at that point, and I had been rejected from all the great ones, I'm like, well, should I spend any more money? Like. Is the Moose Jaw International Film Festival in Wisconsin really gonna do a lot for my business, for for my my career? So at that point in, in time, I decided not to 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 submit. I, I went on strike. Mm -hmm. I'm not gonna pay anymore. Gotcha. And then I came up with techniques on how to get in for free, and I did. And I that film went on to being like 150, 175 festivals over the course of the next couple of years, uh, but I paid for very few of them afterwards. Uh, so it is a great experience and I think you definitely as a filmmaker should do it. If you live in a small town, do it every year mm -hmm. because that's the only place you're going to connect with other filmmakers. I live in LA, so it's not as big of a deal for me. Um, but when I was in Miami, those festivals are like gold because you, don't, you can't get, uh, connections with other filmmakers like, like you can at festivals uh -huh. and other producers and other actors and other finance people. They all do go to those festivals, so there is a lot of value to it. But just don't go hog wild over it. You know, imagine you guys. I'm sure flown out to some festivals, right? We've never actually flown. We've never actually that. flown. We've gone in the area, and yeah, we've, we've gone within a drive. So, so, yeah. so I've actually. But we've flown we've out. kept it in mind that we we that's you know the cost of a festival, what it's going to cost the festival, and then it's got to be cost effective for us to actually reach the festival. Uh, we did we did apply with one thing to Sundance and one thing to Cannes. But mm, I mean, yeah. if we got that, which we didn't, problem. yeah, <laughs> that would have been worth whole, it. <laughs> then now you start re refinancing the house. Yeah. Um, at that point, to go to Sundance. Exactly. Um, exactly. if you've never been to Sundance, by the way, you you I mean, it's a magical wonderland. Uh, it really is. <laughs> we, know, we know. We've heard. You guys should definitely. You know, I'm going again this year, and it's it's awesome. Like the connections you make, the people sure. you meet. I always said the first time I went, I went with Broken when it wasn't in the festival, I, I, I literally had just finished broken and walked around with a laptop going, Hey, you want to watch a movie on the street? Mm -hmm. This is 2005. Wow. And, um, during that festival, it was the first time I ever been to Sundance. I always said it was like Walt Disney world, but instead of the characters, they're celebrities. So I would just literally take pictures with everybody. I got Robert Downey Jr. I got, you know, I'm, with, nice. I'm sitting, I'm with, sitting with next, the laptop I'm, or <laughs> no, not with the laptop, with actual photos. Um, but uh, you know, that was pre Iron Man and, uh, like I'm sitting there cause we snuck into a place that only celebrities are supposed to get into. Mm -hmm. Dude, we like, we forged badges. Nice. I mean, we did all sorts of crazy stuff. So I'm sitting there next, next, right next to me, Lawrence Bender and Larry David are having breakfast and, and you know, like we're nice. just like freaking out, you know, and then Tarantino's over there and I'm like, eh, what do we do? Until finally they, they fished us out. But we got yeah. in, and we, we got in multiple times. There's always little hacks. Of course. <laughs> well, we're branching out this year. Joe and I are going to the American film market. I'm curious what your take is on the film markets and AFM. Or will you be there yeah. this year? Will you be I'm, there this year? Yeah I'm, yeah, I'm going this year because this is Meg's going to be there. Okay. Um, and, uh, and I'm actually uh, I'm going to be hopefully interviewing the, the, the founder of AFM uh, okay. in the next week or two. Gotcha. Uh, so that's going to come out be prior to AFM. We're trying so, for that too. Is that Jonathan or somebody else? Yeah, John, yeah, Jonathan. Cool. <laughs> is, is he blowing our interview? He's I know, taking that's our why, interview. That's why we're <laughs> <laughs> we all parked up. We're like, wait a minute. They reached out to me. No, very um, cool. 
So, John, so I'm going to be talking to Jonathan hopefully in the next – I think next week I'm scheduled to talk to him and then he'll, he'll be pumped out quickly after. Um, so hopefully we can – you know, I've been to AFM once before. I've never been upstairs. I've only been down in the lobby with the, with the bottom the bottom drill, uh, the Peters. Uh, <laughs> but that's where everyone hangs out. I don't mean that in a bad way. Um, everyone hangs out there at one point or another, and a lot of deals are made down there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never got upstairs. Uh, so this year I'm going to be getting upstairs. Uh, and, and getting a pass and, and, and seeing the whole process. I got a little taste of AFM when I was at Toronto because Toronto is a mini market. So yeah. a lot, it's very similar to AFM, not as big, but it's very similar in, in the way they do things, you know, rent out hotel rooms, you know, people come in and you sell movies. And it's an old fashioned way of doing it, but it is still a way of doing international sales. Um, and we could talk about distribution and all that stuff as well, but yeah, uh, no, it is, I'd love to. <laughs> it's, a still, it's still a way of, of, of it's still the way to make international sales. Will that be there in the next 20 years? I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I don't know. But it's still, you know, it's still, hey, I look at you. I have a relationship with you as a filmmaker uh, and as a producer. I'm going to buy your movie and sell it to China, sell it to South Africa, sell it to India, and so on. The, so it the is business still, is and, all and you, about you, building relationships. And if you don't build those relationships, you're, you're kind of yeah. out of luck, you know? You just it doesn't happen. I mean, <clears throat> look, I was... It's all about relationships. You know, I was at Sundance a couple years after the first time, and I had built up a lot of relationships. So I was I, I wasn't sneaking into parties anymore. I was actually invited, which mm-hmm. is always a wonderful thing. <laughs> so beautiful. And I was I was out front, and I walked out of this party that we were in, and um, out front was the winner of Project Greenlight, the third oh, season, the oh, guy who wow. did the horror movie. Okay. And he can't get in. Oh shit can't get into the festival into the party and i walk out i'm like hey and i forgot his name forgive me but um i'm like aren't didn't you win he's like yeah i'm like i can't get it i'm like and i told the, fr- the doorman who's my buddy i'm like dude this guy won project gentleman so mm-hmm. i walked in the guy who won project <laughs> That's awesome. I but i was nobody i just happened to be there and i happened to be making relationships and friends so it's all about relationships it's all about creating uh those those good relationships that are positive for both party members. It's not about, ne- I hate the word networking, mm-hmm. but it's it's a way of, when you go to try, when you try to create a connection with someone, you need to provide them some value. So if, let's say if someone is, you want something from somebody, um, it's like, look, it's like you're gonna go check out a hot girl at a bar. <laughs> you know, you're gonna walk up to her and like, I wanna sleep with you. It's not gonna work. It's <laughs> you know, not working right off the bat. You've gotta provide some sort of value uh, whether that be your looks, whether that be your humor, whether that be something. Alcohol. And I, I, alcohol. <laughs> uh, maybe this is a bad analogy. It's going down the wrong road. But, <laughs> um, but trying to provide some sort of value, and I've heard multiple stories again and again, you know, people just like, uh, you can feed that energy. You can sense that energy when someone comes up with you like, I just want to take and they want to suck from you. Sure. As opposed to someone like, hey, what can I do for you? And that always takes people off guard. Like, what? You want to give? Like, yeah, what can I do for you? What do I have in my bag of tricks that can help you as of right now to get into this party? Or mm-hmm. is it – because that at that point, that was a very valuable thing. And I could get him into a party that he really wanted to get into and not freeze his ass off outside. Sure. Yeah. That was a, that provided value. Hence, I opened up the door. Now we have a connection. Now we're having a conversation and then now there's value in, and that's the way you build value. And you guys know it because the, with the podcast, the podcast is a tremendous amount of value that you can provide and meet with people um, that you would never get a chance to otherwise. I've made insane relationships because of the podcast and because of Indie Film Hustle. And the second I started giving back to the film community um, wholeheartedly, doors opened for me that would have never opened otherwise. So yep. I always try to give as much as I can. Get, I like to give more than I get. Well, that was 100% the reason we started the podcast was, yeah. you know, and lucky us, we had three of our guests join our web series this summer and come out and shoot, you know, shoot our web series with us. So, you know, it worked in spades, right? I mean, you can't, yeah. you, you can't beat, and now they're like friends for life, you know, because yeah. they, we yeah. worked with exactly. them and, and on all that stuff. And, and they're friends too. The three of them now have developed a friendship and they've been out. We've seen pictures of them on their yeah. social media all of a sudden. Hey, they're hanging out we're somewhere like, wait else. Wait a minute. Those are our vampire hunters. What the hell are they doing? <laughs> Well, the best the best is when I can connect people like yeah I mean I have a guest or a company that I'm working with and somebody else comes to me like oh you know who you need to talk you need to talk to the CEO of this company or you need to reach out to the screenwriter and if I can make that connection with no 
no ulterior motives, just truly help it, just want to make those, that connection. That's super valuable. And that make if you know, doing indie film hustle, it feeds the soul for yeah. me, you know, because I get, uh, you know, I've got letters and I get emails on a daily basis of people and filmmakers around the world who say that the podcast and the website provides hope for them. And you can't buy that. That's mm -hmm. so, so valuable to me that you provide hope. You provide, you gave me inspiration. Look, I just shot my movie because of you. That is, you know, that's so amazing. And if I could do that with one, let alone many uh, filmmakers and artists out there, man, it's, it's, a, it's a good day. Course, it's a good day. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit more about you and your films and your projects, right? And yeah. this is Meg. I mean, that yeah. was that was your big feature film that you put out this year. Um, sure. You just mentioned you're taking it to American Film Market. I know you went to Cinequest with it and probably some other and festivals. Hulu, and it's going to Hulu on Sunday. Oh, awesome! Congratulations. Excellent. Go yeah. go yeah. go watch This Is Meg on Hulu, everybody. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But. Where did the concept for This Is Meg start? I know it started as a script mint, so maybe you can give everybody yes. a little background on what a script mint is. Did you, did you know what a script mint was before I said it? No, not a clue. Was... <laughs> <laughs> I've had more people reach out to me about script mints. Mm -hmm. They're like, this is genius. I'm like, I didn't create this, guys. I, and I didn't even create the name. Yeah, but you're script facilitating it, so. <laughs> I do facilitate it, yes. Script mints have been around for a long time. I mean, James Cameron is very famous for his script mints. Uh, where it's basically just a long outline uh, uh, or a story. So like his scriptment for Avatar was like 67 pages. <laughs> mm, wow. Like, you know, that's a scriptment. So it's basically a, it's a hell a of a synopsis, basically. <laughs> it's basically. Yeah, it's a very big synopsis. So but that's originally what scriptments were made for. But then the Duplass brothers and uh, Joe Swanberg and Lynn Shelton and the Mumblecore crew um, started creating these these kind of scriptment screenplays where you basically just do a huge outline of the movie so with this is meg i know i didn't want to wait i was tired um of waiting around for people to give me permission to make my movie i had been waiting for 20 odd years and i kept making this whole like oh it's the feature film it's this big monstrous mountain and it has to be reservoir dogs when it comes out and blow everybody away and <laughs> all filmmakers we all think that like it's if yeah. i gotta make it it's got it's gotta be mariachi it's gotta be paranormal activity it's got to do it's got to be these big movies big indie movies so that pressure you, you crack you just never will ever get to that point um especially when you're trying to make something to reach a goal as opposed to loving the process of doing <laughs> the art sure so so when i reached out to jill i had just been dropped from another pro not dropped but i was just the other project just fell apart after going through it again and i've been attached to so many projects over the years i just called jill up i go jill i want to make a movie and um, Jill's the, uh, the star of the movie and the writer. Yeah. I go, Jill, I want to make a movie, and we're going to do it this way. And this is a story I want to tell. I want to tell your story as a comic and a actress um, who is not 21 anymore and uh, who's been a little famous, but has had fame, but she's not like a household name. And what it's like for you, because I've seen it. I've been first. I've been front row as well for that. And she's like, okay, great. And I caught her at the right time, and like I think. A week later or two weeks later, she had a script, scriptment, and I read it and we worked on it a bit and kind of tweaked it here and there. And as she was writing it, she was writing it for her friends, which are all insanely talented actors. And uh, after the scriptment was done, two, three days later, we locked up the crew, uh, the cast, excuse me. And then uh, we were shooting a couple weeks later. Like, and then we shot for, whole thing was shot in eight days over six weeks. We mm -hmm. worked around people's schedule. And it was the most pleasurable experience, creative experience of my life. Uh, it was just so pressureless. And I literally sat there during the process with Jill and I said, are we making a feature film? Why is it so easy? Like mm -hmm. we, we don't, we don't pass six hours. Like a day never passed six hours, mm -hmm. except for the long uh, ayahuasca scene. That, that was, and we, shot, <laughs> and we shot three scenes that day. That's the only reason why that was so long, but, um, but generally, we never broke six to eight hours. Never. I don't think we ever got to eight hours. Wow. Actors actors got plenty of time to play. We all just sat there and we had a good time. And it was just wonderful because I was no pressure because I didn't care. I just didn't care what happened at the end. I had no perceived outcome. So we can take it. away from this that uh, if you want to make a good feature film, you just have to not care. You have <laughs> it's to not a joke. <laughs> you have it's to a joke. Not, I, 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 you, you have to not care about its outcome. 
mm-hmm. uh, to a certain extent. You got a million dollars on the line, different conversation. Yeah. You know, um, you've got your house on the line, different conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're doing a, a micro budget film where it's basically an experiment, um, you shouldn't put pressure on it. And mm-hmm. I didn't. I put no pressure on the film whatsoever. I put it out there. And in a lot of ways, I was I had the, the courage to do that because of Indie Film Hustle, because of the tribe, because I just said to myself, well, if it, if it does nothing, it's all good. I got I got I'll go back to the tribe. Mm-hmm. And it was like a family to me. It's a weird way. It's like, you know, at that time it was a year ago now. I've met many more of them and I've contact I've had contact with much many more of the tribe members over the last year. But at the time I just felt like, you know what, I'll just go back to do what I do. It's not that big of a deal. Mm-hmm. And the second I let go of that, everything blew wide open. Everything huh. was just there automatically. It 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 was this most effortless project I've ever been involved with. For Jill and for me, and Jill's been on you know a million dollar projects, mm-hmm. and she's just like, I can't believe this was this easy. Like there was no problem. Like this is the anti filmmaking story, because every film story you guys know, I'm sure, is like, oh, the producer was a pain, the director didn't know what he was doing, yep. the the actor was a drama queen, nothing. Yep. Everything was, is 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 magical. I don't think I'll ever get that again. I hope I do, but <laughs> I, I don't think I'll ever get it again. So it's been a wonderful experience. I mean, we sold it to Hulu. That's insane. Yeah. You know that we got it to Hulu. That 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 was such a big deal for us. Uh, it's at AFM. Like last year, I was at AFM, mm-hmm. and looking around, like yeah, this is yeah. I don't know. So and let's then, uh, so let's talk about distribution then. So those are the places it's going. But how? What was your? Did you have a plan? I mean, I know you're going with the I don't care mantra, but I, I find oh, no. it hard to believe that the entrepreneur and the and the uh, marketer in you, you had a plan for how you were gonna get this to market, right? Oh, so absolutely, of course. No, uh, so absolutely, no question. I mean, what? Um, I I. I know this movie's not for everybody. It's a dramedy. You know, it is funny, it has its funny moments, but it's not a straight out, you know, uh, you know, Judd Apatow movie by mm-hmm. any stretch. Um, so, and it doesn't have any major stars in it. So I'm very realistic with what we have. You know, we have wonderful actors, which are, you know, faces that you all recognize, mm-hmm. but we don't have any bankable stars. And, they're, and they'll be the first ones to say it. Um, so we knew that. We were just all having a good time. So I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to sell it, I'm going to try to sell it to my audience. So I'm going to tell them, I'm going to show them the process of how I made it. So I started talking a lot about that. So I created a lot of content around that. So that brings in revenue, believe it or not, Mm -hmm. just by creating that content. Uh, And then I built a relationship out with the stripper. Said, you know, I'm going to self-distribute this. And then I'm going to show everybody how I self-distributed it. So I did a lot of content building up to the release of Meg. Uh, we released it on iTunes and Amazon, uh, and then now it's on every platform you can imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then we, I wanted to kind of just see what happens, and we sold a good amount. You know, the money we made a decent amount of money. We we're not rolling around in it by any mm-hmm. stretch of the imagination, but we made a decent amount of money for a, such a small film, more than most. Sure. And um, and that was the plan. And then I always I always knew the, the for me. On a financial standpoint, there's more money in the making of of Meg than there is in Meg. But oddly enough, you know, with the Hulu deal, we sold China, we mm-hmm. sold South Africa, um, which is insane. Like, <laughs> what? Like, what? Somebody in um, South Africa is going to see your film, yeah. Yeah, it, it, China. That was the first international sale was China. And uh, I was like, you got to be kidding me. Uh, and we have a pending UK deal right now, and we're going to see what happens after AFM. Mm-hmm. So little by little, it's made some money. Again, we're not rich by any stretch of the imagination. I can't quit my day job anytime soon. But it was a, a, it was a good um, proof of concept. I'm like, we could do this. This is, this is a feasible business model. Now, it only is a feasible business model when you have an audience like I do. And when I have actors that I, that I had in, in the movie that I had with their audiences that helped sell the movie, you know, so there was multiple areas that um, it needs to you need to have, but for self distribution, you have to have an audience. Mm-hmm. If you don't, you're dead. There's no point in going to a distributor. There's no point in trying to get an iTunes or spending money to get an iTunes, get an aggregator like distributor or anybody else. 
Um, it doesn't make sense. You have to have an audience. You have to understand marketing. You have to go through it. And uh, you know, that for me, Meg, my ancillary products are, you know, parts of the stuff from you know in my membership site, which is Master Circle, mm-hmm. um, and other stuff like that that shows the process of making it. And then, uh, you know, if you're making a, and I always use this example, and I'm going to make this movie one day, the Vegan Chef movie. Mm-hmm. Um, the, you know, you make a Vegan Chef movie, and it's a, a romantic comedy about Vegan Chefs, whatever, you know, and he, she, you know, it's a Vegan Chef, but he, but he falls in love with a meat eater. I don't know. Um, <laughs> but you, you create, you create this this Vegan Chef movie. Why wouldn't you create a cookbook? videos that you can sell courses mm-hmm. on how to create vegan i mean it's just it's a no-brainer yeah you know uh and you could build a whole empire based around that one little movie um as i've shown on a couple of episodes and a couple of articles about other filmmakers who've done exactly that with fat sick and nearly dead food matters um yeah. yoga with adrian which is a youtube show yes they've built little empires up around that little bit of content. So you have to think about it as an entrepreneur, but you have to be smart about it, you know? And the only reason Meg worked is because I wrote, uh, and I wrote, but I made a movie within the resources that I had. I didn't try to make a big action movie. I've done that. I know mm-hmm. how expensive that is. You know, I, I didn't I, I didn't overextend myself uh, on this one. Maybe I will in the next two or three. Um, sure. But right now, this, but this right now works. And it was like, okay, this is how you do it. And that's where I think a lot of filmmakers fall uh, fall a little bit or trip up is they become too ambitious too early mm-hmm. you know if i wanted to go out and make a, a big action movie i feel comfortable that i could probably do something for a, a decent sized budget but i also have 20 odd years behind me i have a lot of resources at my disposal that i've built up i have a lot of tools in my toolbox that i've built up you know but when i see a 22 year old trying to make you know the hobbit Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, it's it, you know, it, it's probably not going to work out. So you have to kind of be thinking about that uh, a little bit. Hope that was a long-winded question. No, answer to no, it's question. great. It's it's exactly what I. It's awesome. The information's awesome. Yeah. I, I know our gear gear friend here, Joe, would probably wants to know like what you shot Meg on. You, I, you're a big Black Magic, Da Vinci Resolve guy. So did you, is that what you did? All of this is I Meg- shot it on Black Magic. I had the camera, so it was a Black Magic Cinema 2.5K, mm-hmm. mastered in 1080p. Uh, by the way, everyone listening, you don't have to master in 4K, for God's sakes. Stop <laughs> it. It's not there yet. Um, but if you need it, great. But you don't have to go crazy for it. Anyway, I digress. Did you edit um, on the Blackmagic um, Yeah, I, I, that was the first thing I ever edited on Black Ma- on, on the Da Vinci because I was shooting raw. Uh, I was shooting raw in the 2.5K. I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I've been, I was a Final Cut 7 guy. So I was like, oh, wow. this is going to be a bitch. <laughs> but yeah. there's an edit tab here on DaVinci. Let me just start playing around with it because I know at least it'll work. And I started playing around with it and slowly but surely. I literally just was testing out editing the movie while I was editing the movie. Like I just didn't even try anything else. I was just like, here's a scene. Let me try to cut it up. It's working. Let me keep cutting it <laughs> up. And I, just, I just kept going. It was kind of madness in that way. And uh, it was great because I was able to jump back and forth between color and editing. And it was great. Um, but it was a, it was wonderful. I shot with two cameras, shot with uh, Sigma, eighteen or thirty five, and some Rokies, mm-hmm. um, Rokinon lenses for anyone not in the know, and um, and that was it. It was really simple. And I, you know, we we recorded audio with a, uh, um, a uh, hundred and fifty dollar recorder, XLR, you know, recorder mm-hmm. with a Rode mic, which, and then I had the guy. One? Oh uh, God, I don't know where it is. The Ma- is it Mackie? Not, not not Zoom, not Zoom, but the other one. Uh, Tascam is it? Tascam, thank you. That's what. That, yeah. See, that's how much I know about it. So see, I got, I'm, I, I got, th- see, this is where my brain goes. I'm like, what gear are you using? What road mic did you use? I used um, the NG2. <laughs> NTG2. <laughs> that's what we just and, shot. Um, uh, Seymour on. Seymour on this yeah. summer. And three, and three, and, and three, three was with three is the one that I kept for most of it. Yeah. Because three is awesome. It was a oh. two hundred. That's like expensive mic, two hundred and fifty dollars. Yeah. So, um, sure. and I and I literally got a boom for like fifty bucks, and I learned how to use it, and I then I brought the guy who was holding the mic. He's not the sound guy, he's the guy holding the mic, <laughs> and I go, here's the record button, here's where you stop, keep the mic as close as you can with it without getting out of it. All right, and then and, I, and then I taught him how to ride the mic the levels a little bit. 
we were golden. And I was shocked. I was shocked that it came out sounding as good. You guys seen it? So yeah. did it sound yeah. all right? Yeah, no, the no, sound was great. The sound was actually great. Um, yeah, not bad for you know a guy holding a boom. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's not bad at all. I mean, I didn't. There were. You know what it is when the sound is bad. You notice more. So I, 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 there was nothing. There's nothing I could say about the sound because it all just sounded great. Yeah. It was well. Talking to Sal, Sal's the one I brought brought in when we first started getting into the movie business thing together. Um, I brought him I in because I needed guy. I needed a sound guy, and I handed him a boom pole, and I said, "Here's the record button," <laughs> and, that was, and it was the same process. And now, now we're business yeah. partners. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. And and you know, a lot of those scenes with Jill by herself. Anytime you see Jill by herself, mm -hmm. that's me and Jill. Really. That's it. No crew. Like, that, that's it. No crew. It's lockdown just camera and you holding the boom. <laughs> no lockdown. No, no, no. I would, no, I would, I would actually have a, a, tri a tripod, not tripod, um, C-stand mm -hmm. holding the mic, or I would have the mic on the on the camera and I'd hold it on and be like, all right, let's do this. <laughs> and 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 that's the way. Like when we were in the car, any car shots, it's all me, and I literally would just get the mic and place it on the on the uh, on the, the cup holder. Seat. <laughs> On a passenger seat, and I go go, and I was, I mean, dude, it nice. was insane. We did, but when you're doing a movie of that kind of budget, you just want to try to strip away all of the the noise. I'm like, what do I need to make a movie? I need an, a boom, a recorder, and a couple cameras, mm -hmm. and that's it. And I'm like, okay, and I need a couple people to run some stuff some days, and everything else I'll do myself. Mm -hmm. Great. Let's just do it because a lot of times filmmakers get so caught up with the gear and so caught up with like, I need this move. I need that dolly move. I need this crane shot. I need this drone shot. That's great for certain kind of stories. But I wrote, I, I wanted to create a story with Meg that I knew I could do myself. But you it's know, very intimate. It's a very intimate story and you can tell the way the camera work and the lighting. It's a very intimate story and the cast, just as you said, they all, um, the improvisational aspect of it, you could see how comfortable everybody was on screen. It all comes across. Like everything you're yeah. talking about from the way you produced it and directed it, it's all, it all came across on screen. It feels, well, it feels you. real. Yeah. Like it, it feels real about. because it, the, like the connections are real. Right, and we wanted to do that. We wanted to create a raw, real movie that actually gave you some emotion. And by the way, when you say lighting, I never lit a movie before, and I was the DP on it. Oh wow! So that I was like, I I've maybe lit one thing in my life, two or three like <laughs> things back in college, but I was like, and I know enough about it. I'm not complete, you know, you know, neophyte when it comes to lighting, but I've never lit a feature film before. Mm -hmm. So I was like, all right, what do I need? Need some china balls. Need this, need that, and I'll and I'll shoot it raw. I got latitude, and I'll fix it in post. And there I fixed it in post. I made myself. Look, <laughs> the only reason that movie looks so good is I spent a month in color correction. One yeah. shot had fourteen power windows. If you know anything about Ooh. color grading, wow! It was the shot. It was the the stuff outside with um the pre with Jenica, the pregnant. Yeah. Her boss. Yeah. All of that was that was there was no the sun direct sunlight on her. Oh my god! So I was blowing out everywhere, but because I was able to use the the latitude within the raw file i saved like all those little hot spots on her arm her nose right i went in there and powered window all that out and the information was there because i shot raw wow huh. very cool there you go there's your <laughs> lesson there's for the day. there's a tip for the day shoot <laughs> yeah. raw and fix it later always shoot raw, <laughs> always shoot raw man if you could shoot, look when you shoot raw and you're even halfway decent in color grading mm -hmm. just shoot it down just throw it down the middle man just shoot yeah. it down the middle just throw a strike don't get fancy. Just throw a strike. Don't throw a curveball. Don't throw a knuckleball. Just throw a fucking strike. <laughs> if you get it down the middle and you've got raw files, you should be able to play and fix things in post again for certain kinds of movies. For bigger budget movies, this does not make sense. If you got $200,000, you better know what the fuck you're doing yeah. on set and take your time to light certain things. Mm -hmm. But if you're just kind of running gunning it like we were and had a low budget, absolutely it's absolutely doable and that was also one of the reasons why i wanted to make meg in the first place as well is because i'm like i wanted to prove to the tribe that it can be done mm -hmm, you know yeah. i wanted to go out there and go guys if i could do this you guys can too and i'm not going to just talk about it i'm going to go out and do it and i'm going to show you how i do it warts and all and no. there was things that along the way that you know i would do differently <laughs> as every project goes oh, along you know Oh, but well, we, we know that feeling. <laughs> Everything I've ever done in my life, I go, wow, I could have done that differently. <laughs> <laughs> 
but I wanted to, I wanted to show the tribe that you know it can be done. The fun thing for us with the podcast, and I'm sure you appreciate the same, is just getting to hear people's stories and what they've gone through and what they do. And you know, for for me, your podcast is not only just about the film industry. Like I said, just as an entrepreneur, as a marketer, other people I think find are gonna find, would find value in your show if they listen to it in general. So. You know. I appreciate that. Thank you. I do actually have a handful of people that are non-filmmakers who listen to the show. And I'm they're sure. like, we just love listening to the process and love listening to these stories. And I'm like, that's fantastic. You know, like the one I just read, the, the podcast we just released this week, mm -hmm. um, Julian, the one who did the, I don't know if you heard the last episode. No, I did I not didn't. get to Sorry. it. I was busy watching <laughs> he, This Is Meg. That's <laughs> okay, no problem. No, it was a great, he's an Australian uh, director who made a movie in Malta. Uh, in the islands of Malta mm -hmm. and he was making it at the exact same time I was making Meg So he was like dude I felt like and he actually flew out to LA and we had a coffee and the whole ball of wax nice. and and he was like Dude, I mean I felt like I had a brother in arms because Here we have no film industry and I was like I would listen to your podcast and I'm like I hear you going through your stuff with Meg And I'm going through it with this and he shot this movie by himself too. He shot with the GH4 mm -hmm. It was a love story and it looks amazing. It's an it's called love to paradise And he and he got to number three of iTunes. Wow. In oh, I saw the title for that That one and it's a great people have been hitting me back like dude We love that story because it's just another success story. I got a couple coming up blow you guys I can't wait to share it because I get hit by a lot of filmmakers wanting to be on the show now. Sure. And I always, anyone who's trying to get on the show, uh, before I was a little bit more lenient and just opened up. But now I've, I got to be a lot more strict because I need to provide value. So if it's just a, a filmmaker coming on the, the show to promote their movie, I'm like, I can't do that, guys. Of course. Yeah. But if it's a story that I can provide value to my audience, like this one, like how did you get to the top three? Mm -hmm. How did you go out with one camera? by yourself and it's a tr like it's all over an island it looks insane wow uh, and, and that provides value as opposed to like hey i just made a new movie i'm like i made it for five thousand bucks i'm like there's a line of filmmakers that i have literally that yeah. made five thousand bucks what is special what did you do different you know yep. and again i'm not trying to be a dick about it i'm like i just got to be true to my audience and not waste your guys time with someone just going out there like, hey, I'm going to promote my movie. I'm like, no, I don't, I don't care about promoting your movie. But that's, so why, that's why people listen to you and they, why they keep continuing listening to because you are true to the audience because you say, you know what, I, I have to deliver something that's educational, something that's, that's uh, uh, you know, telling people what's really going on as opposed to, you know, fluff. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And yeah. And uh, yeah, I, I never want to be an interview guy. Like just like, oh, I'm just I get hit up with pub by publicists daily. Sure. With press releases daily, and I'm like, no, absolutely. <laughs> not. Occasionally, you know, I have a relationship with some publicists that they actually connect me with really great guests, because now they know they're like they won't even come near me, uh, they won't even pitch anything to me unless I, there's an angle to it. Like that one guy, uh, Gail, uh, Galen, who did that movie, the twenty-five thousand dollar movie or two hundred fifty thousand dollar movie, Blood, Sand, and like Gold. 25. Yeah, Gold, Gold. Yeah, that guy, Gold, Sand, and Gold. <laughs> Love that. Uh, was a was that an amazing podcast? I know. Because that guy was crazy he went out and spent like a quarter of a million dollars and made it look like a 25 million dollar movie this is the one i was telling you who was doing the pyrotechnics and the the explosions in mexico <laughs> oh yeah. okay yeah and, he, he told me desert. about this i didn't i didn't yeah, he hear bought, this one he bought a he bought a used car and he blew it up in the desert <laughs> like i'm like <laughs> you're psycho psychopath dude. like how the hell are you doing this and he's like oh yeah we just land wherever we i'm like he was like in Saudi Arabia or I don't know where the fuck he went, but he'd go there and he's like, I'm like, so you had like five people on your crew. What happened when you showed up? He's like, yeah, we would just land and then we'd just look for an acting class somewhere or we'd just call some people and we just start shooting. I'm like, you're out of your mind. I love it. So, but, that, but that was a perfect pitch. Like I literally, that publicist called me yep. and he's like, hey, I got this movie. And I looked at the trail. I'm like, ah, oh, this is just another action, international action movie. I'm not really interested. And he's like, I thought you'd say that. This is the story. I'm like, oh my God, I have to have him on the show. Because, you know, not a lot of us have $250,000 to make a movie. Exactly. But the concepts of what he did translate to a $5,000 movie mm -hmm. without question. Yeah. So it was value to uh, the audience. So, yeah. We went off on a tangent on. How no, we that's cool. That <laughs> that's that's that was, interesting. No, that was perfect. That was, that was great, and I think it's a good way to you know just say thank you, Alex, for joining us today, and thank that's you for cool. you know being uh, 
who you are and uh, giving the indie film hustle to all of us filmmakers and giving us all hope and educating all the uh, all of us out there. I, I, you know, I'm humbled by that, man. And, and I thank you. Thank you for having me on your show. It's been great. And again, I just try to I, I really just want to try to help filmmakers out as much as I can and and, and, and give them a little bit of a, a beacon of, of light because it's getting it's rough out there, man. It's tough out there and it's getting tougher because yep. more more of these guys are coming up and it's, you know, it's not like when I started out. It's not like when Martin Scorsese started out or Steven mm-hmm. Spielberg started out. You know, yeah. competition's fierce. So, uh, I, I, in my small way, I hope I'm helping some people. You definitely Absolutely. are. Absolutely. Thank you, Alex. Uh, tell everybody go to indiefilmhustle.com. Is there anything uh, you have coming out that you want to promote to the, our fine folks? Um, I've got um, uh, right now indiefilmhustle.com. You'll you'll see everything there. Uh, the podcast, uh, the YouTube show. I have a new YouTube show called The Director Series. Have you guys been watching that? No, I haven't seen that yet. Thanks um, for letting us know. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. It's a new series that uh, I'm releasing called The Director Series where amazing filmmaker uh, by the name of Cameron, I'm going to massacre his last name, Briel, Briel, Um he created uh, a series on, on directors like David Fincher, Chris Nolan, P.T. Anderson's uh, Stanley Kubrick and the Coen Brothers so far. That's what he has so wow. far. And they are probably about three-hour video essays. Wow. Broken up in episodes. And it's like I literally just released the final uh, Fincher one this week. Next week we're releasing the, the uh, um, Nolan, which is amazing. And he, they go into every commercial he's ever directed, every music video, and how his style has grown over the course of his career. And they do that through all of these directors like P.T., the Nolan one is insane. Um, Kubrick, which is how I got, I found him in the first place. Mm-hmm. Like everything Kubrick ever did and why he did it and how he did it. And they're just epic. They're, each episode is like 30 minutes. Some are like an hour and 30 minutes. It's insane. So right. that's a new show that's on um, on you, on our YouTube show. Um, again, you'll find all that on Indie Film Hustle. But if you go to of YouTube, course. you can find that. And uh, we've got a ton of new courses coming out as well through, uh, through Indie Film Hustle. Like I told you guys before the show, uh, Filmmaker in a Box, mm-hmm. uh, which just released, which is an 18-hour course on the making of a $100,000 independent film. So you, if you've never gone through the entire experience of making a feature film, this is the course that you want to watch and sit there and just literally you're a fly on the wall mm-hmm. through the entire process. And they teach you along the way their experiences, the good and the bad. And it's uh, I'm very proud to be releasing that. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be up on Indie Film Hustle as well. Awesome. Awesome. We're going to look for all that stuff. We're going to watch it all and uh, see uh, and uh, share it with our folks. So thank you guys for having me on the show and keep and of course, keep that hustle going. <laughs> you got it, man. Hey.